0: A few years ago, not too far from here, down in Warwick, Rhode Island, a team comprised of postal inspectors, U.S. Homeland Security, and Border and Immigration Control seized 226 containers worth $13 million. What were in these containers, you ask? Illegal weapons, illegal drugs, none of that but thousands of counterfeit Tom Brady jerseys and other NFL players. So there was obviously an attempt to replicate these NFL jerseys. But while they were a close facsimile of, they failed to represent the authentic, for they were imitations. And just as a point of reference, next Sunday, in addition to checking Valentine's registrations, Al and I will also be checking your Patriots jerseys just for that proper verification. And also, I I have to offer this, that another way that you can validate that you have an authentic uh, jersey, for example, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you want a game-worn jersey, you'll never find champagne stains or confetti marks on that jersey. <laughs> but I digress. So, obviously, the sale of NFL jerseys represents $1.5 billion for the NFL. So, you can imagine why there would be a market for imitation. And you can imagine why they would also want to make sure they put every effort in place in order to ensure that they were not uh, being lost any of that revenue through any type of imitations. So they are, usually when we think of uh, uh, imitations, we tend to apply the adjective cheap, where we understand that typically what we're looking at is something that is either inferior or something that you can receive at a lower price point. This morning in the passage that we'll be looking at, the Apostle Paul warns Timothy about avoiding uh, or warning him about imitations. These are imitations that are not cheap in adjective, but certainly they are costly. Good morning, my name is Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. We are uh, continuing our sermon series called Finish the Race, a look at Paul's words to Timothy in the second letter of Timothy. And we obviously understand that through this this book, through this letter, we are understanding what it means to maintain our life, to, to be able to maintain that long view despite the trials and the challenges that we may face. For we see through this that the only imitation worth pursuing is our imitation of Jesus Christ. But before we turn to our text this morning, let's just take a few moments to pray to our Lord and Savior. Father God, we come before you through a passage that we know is quite humbling, through a passage that can seem very dark. But Father, we know that you continuously offer your presence, you continuously offer us your grace when we fail to hit the mark. And so we just pray that as we have time to reflect on this, that we would indeed desire to change and to bring you glory through our change. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, if you have not already turned to, let's turn to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses. And this, again, is the very word of the Lord. But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Feeling uplifted? <laughs> so when I first heard that uh, I'd be preaching on Second Timothy 3, I thought, well, obviously I'd probably be preaching the full 17 verses. It's not that long of a chapter, and it just seemed to be the way that it would go. But then when I realized that I would only be uh, preaching the first nine verses, I started feeling a little bit like a stunt double, you know, where, where, where you come in and you take the hit or the fall, and then the director says, cut, and then the lead actor comes in and gets to finish the scene, right? So in this case, the scene finishes next week, and Pastor Travis will be glad to step in and do those verses. <laughs> but it, it, it really does start to sound like one of those prescription uh, commercials, right? Where the, the side effects are worse than really what the, the the situation you're using the medication for in the first place. But in this case, instead of swollen ankles, we have swollen conceit. Instead of heartburn, we have heartlessness. And instead of... I forgot the third one. Man... Instead of bladder control issues, we have self-control issues. <laughs> so so, so why, why is Paul you know, so dark in this passage? You know, d- did he have a bad day? I mean, he's been sitting in the prison cell. You know, is it just getting to be too long for him? Is he really starting to get agitated with people, and this is perhaps his airing of the grievances? But really what this represents... Is Paul understanding that the times are dark that Timothy will be facing? For the term that you see there, last days, does not represent the hours before Jesus returns. But in Paul's context, and the way that we view it, is the time between Jesus' first advent and his second coming. So for Paul and Timothy, they were in the last days, and so are we. And so, Paul, here he is, he's getting older. He knows that he may not have many more opportunities to share and mentor Timothy. So, he feels that he needs to prepare them. He needs to begin to establish the pitfalls and the challenges that a young pastor might encourage. This passage is not futuristic, not fatalistic, but reality. And it's not futuristic but pertains to those days and in our days. Paul describes again these times as dark and difficult. And perhaps the word that we see there in uh, the English is not doing justice to what Paul is describing. For the Greek word for the word difficult there means savage or fierce. It's used only one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew 8.28 Where it's used to describe two demonic, uh, two demoniacs, where they were just overcome with this fierceness. So, Paul obviously understands that he needs to begin to prepare Timothy for what he will face. So, how do we view this passage? How are we to approach it this morning that gives meaning to us, that does not overwhelm us with the, the somberness of the text? Well, the first thing we have to understand is God is sovereign, and He has promised that He will be with us every step of the way, and He has promised that the church will never fail. And so while this may look like a dark passage, it really is just a way that we can begin to prepare for what we'll be facing in the years ahead. And in my mind, there's three ways that we can approach this text from a a reader. The first is to believe that it has no relevance to us and simply say, I don't know what that's about, but it certainly is not talking about me. The second approach is to begin to scan the congregation for those who this passage is talking about. But perhaps the most important approach that we should take to this is for each one of us to say, Lord, is it I? It's very easy for us to... um, Take out the binoculars and scan the congregation for people that we believe the Apostle Paul is describing. But what I'm encouraging you to do for the next few minutes is to take out your hand mirror and do some time of self-reflection. There's only nine verses here. There's 147 words, but there's only two imperatives or two exhortations. The first one is at the beginning of verse 1 which is understand or know. And then the second is at the end of verse 5, which is avoid. It's between these two imperatives where Paul begins to list 19 different sinful attitudes and behaviors. And I'm not going to go through each one this morning, but I believe you can basically break them down into three categories. Imitation loves, Imitation faith and imitation teachers. And this morning we're going to actually take them in inverse order because I believe that when we look at them in that order, we begin to drill down to the root cause that we see here. And these three can serve as an outline for you if you're interested in taking notes. The first one is uh, imitation teachers. Paul addresses this in verses 6 to 9. They are described as using their authority to prey on weak people, especially women. Paul is not making a broad statement against all women here. He's simply representing that those that they were praying on were quite vulnerable for two reasons. One, they were immature Christians. They were new in the faith. And second, they still struggled with sin. And so these teachers were taking advantage of the needs of these women by coming along and preaching something that was easy for them to understand and easy for them to embrace. But as a result, they were using their position to take advantage of these women. We obviously see that this would have been in a home church type of environment. So there was obviously the opportunity to be in their homes constantly. And so these teachers were no longer preaching Christ, but they were preaching a mixture of of the Bible plus their own words. And that's where they began to go astray. They were falsely representing who they were and what they were proclaiming. And for us, we see false representation all the time in this world. You don't have to go any further than your email inbox. For we see the amount of of spam and and phishing scams where we are notified that people are representing that they're from our bank or from uh, a shipping company or some sweet Nigerian widow who is offering us millions of dollars. But we begin to understand that there's certain ways that we can identify those as being false we may immediately look at the the source of the email, where it came from, the two, and we start to see some peculiar variations of the company or the person that they represent. Or we begin to, to wonder about what they are providing for us or offering to us, whether that's realistic. And then finally, if we have any questions, we spend a fair amount of time investigating it to see if it truly is real before we jump at it. The same could be applied toward false teachers. For when we hear someone proclaiming what they say is the word of God, first of all we need to understand the source. Is the source of the word from the Bible or is he taking liberties with the text at all? Second is we have to understand the claims that they are making. Whether it's prosperity gospel or other false gospels out there, we need to begin to understand whether what they are proclaiming, what they are offering, is consistent with the Word of God. And finally, if we do not fully understand whether what is being proclaimed is true, then it's on us to search out the Bible And to verify that. And that's why at at MCC we're constantly encouraging you to have your Bible open. We're constantly encouraging you to engage with us. If there's something in the text that we uh, preached on that you didn't feel was appropriate or you had questions, we encourage that dialogue. We're not trying to say, listen to us and and don't read your Bible. We're simply encouraging you to understand the text. And we're here to uh, help uh, offer some insight onto that. Uh, But not all of us are teachers, right? And we may say that this does not apply to us. But really when you think about it, each one of us has the opportunity to influence others. Whether it's through our children or our co-workers or other peoples that we are in community with. We have an opportunity to speak the truth. And so when we use God's words in any of those contexts, we need to make sure that we are not taking it lightly. That we are fully understanding the magnitude of God's word and we are fully representing it to the, to the accuracy of what we're called to do. Because we understand that the only imitation worth pursuing is the imitation of Christ. Which takes us to our second point, imitation faith. Key verse is verse 5. Having the power of godliness, but denying its power. The best representation we see of this is the Pharisees in the Bible, right? Jesus is constantly challenging them. They are supposed to be the experts of the law. They are supposed to be the religious elite. They have such a position of prominence in 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 the square, and yet... Everything that they can proclaim from their mouth never reaches their hearts. And so they are called hypocrites by Jesus. They are called vipers. They are representing the children of Satan. For there is no no understanding in their lives that they are to take what they hear and what they know and internalize it. There is a, a ship called the Queen Mary. Some of you certainly may have heard of it. In 1936, it was one of the largest passenger ships to sail the oceans. Currently, now it serves as a hotel in Long Beach, California. And so as they had docked that ship and they were beginning to uh, convert it into a hotel, they began to scrape down the sides and to repaint it. And there were three smokestacks that they actually removed in order to better scrape and repaint. But at the point where they removed them and put them on the dock, they crumbled to dust. The issue was that the three quarters of of steel that had originally been there had all rusted away. And all that was remaining and holding those structures in place was 30 coats of paint. So you can begin to see how we can fall into that trap as well. We spend more time making sure that we put on the right impression, that everybody thinks that we are religious, that everybody thinks that we got our lives together. And meantime, what's happening is we're uh, ignoring the internals and that we're not putting in the effort in order to make sure that our outside appearance and the inner realities of our heart are matching and so this is what Paul is trying to get across to to Timothy that not all things are as they look right there's going to be a lot of people that come alongside him and can say the right words and have been faithful in their attendance but yet the reality is that there is emptiness or darkness in their hearts As pastors, we always want to go after that missing sheep, the one who was strayed away. But it's interesting because in this verse, at the end of verse 5, what does Paul instruct Timothy to do? To avoid those people. And that seems very harsh, that seems very fatalistic. We don't really understand why, why Paul would be saying this. But it falls back to the earlier chapter where Paul describes that babble that leads to gangrene. And he begins to understand that in order to protect the church, sometimes we have to marginalize and keep those people away from key leadership positions and key positions that could influence others. And that may seem harsh because, again, we want to assume the best in everybody and we want to make sure that we are following everyone who is straying from the flock. But there are times where we do have to make sure that we are protecting the others in the flock as opposed to always going after the one. Now, this, this analogy, again, can compare to us personally, and also as a congregation. We can obviously make sure that we are facing the realities of our sin, that we are understanding that our words and our actions should be consistent, whether in public or private. We should begin to understand that truly, in order for us to acknowledge our need for the Savior, we need to be actively confessing our sins and not denying it to others or to ourselves. But this also can apply to a congregation. For it would be very easy at times for us just to allow things to to continue and fester. But there are times where, as elders and pastors and leaders, we need to make tough decisions. We need to make sure that, again, we are working on the hard issues. That we are ensuring that the inner workings, the inner core of the leadership team of Medway Community Church is not rusting away, but that we are investing as much in the inside as we are on the outside. Spurgeon says that godliness looks towards God and mourns its distance from Him. For we understand that even though we are not called to perfection or flawlessness, we understand that we are going to constantly be falling short of what God has called us to. What He does call us to is to authenticity. That we come before Him acknowledging our sin. That we do not try to whitewash what our shortcomings are. But indeed, we praise God for His grace and His daily ability to free us from our sins. The only imitation worth pursuing is our imitation of Christ. Which brings us to our third point on the outline, imitation loves. So we begin to see that the root cause of the imitation teachers, the false teachers, and the root cause of the imitation faith Is misdirected or false love. We take the love that is intended to be for God and instead direct it to ourselves or to other things. We can look at that list there and we obviously see narcissism, we see materialism, and we see hedonism. We see that the clouds uh, are judgments about ourselves and others. Oh, sorry, this clouds, not the clouds. The clouds are causing us to be judged. No, this clouds our judgments about ourselves and others. There's a term called fundamental attribution error, which in simple words means basically when we look at somebody else, we don't assume that they have any reason for their behaviors, we just assume that it is because they are uh, not very nice. Or they just have difficulty dealing with people. But when it comes to our own attitudes, we always assume the best. Because we figure that there's always reason and justification for the way I act. It's not just something that is indwelling in me, but it is some other external factor that I have to face. I don't know if you remember the old George Carlin line, but he said that anyone that is driving slower than you is an idiot, and anyone that is driving faster than you is a maniac. And that's basically the way that we view life, right? Everything that we do is justified. Everything that everybody else does, there must be some type of inherent evil or, or personality issue that causes them to act that way. Today, we see many examples of self-love. And I don't know if you had an opportunity to see it, but in the, the New York Times this weekend, there was an article about this company. It's a million-dollar company called Duvami. And it, it is selling Twitter followers to celebrities and businesses who want to increase their, their number of followers and to appear more popular. These are not real followers, but they are fictitious followers intended simply to improve the look of your Twitter page and be able to look like you have a greater following than you really do. That's what we tend to fall into all the time, whether in social media or other areas. We want the world to look at us better than we really are. But the problem with that is that no one actually sees how Christ has changed us. So when we whitewash our sins, when we fail to ever acknowledge our sinfulness in any of our past situations, then someone who is new to the faith sees us as an unreachable goal. That I could never be like that person. Look at how well they have it together. They never seem to get angry. They never seem to react the way I do. How could that possibly be? When the reality is we're the same way if it wasn't for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are in a situation where we are constantly needing to check ourselves. What Paul is describing in verses 1-9 to is not the outside world that we have to protect ourselves from. He's talking about life within the church that we need to make sure that we're not participating or contributing to. And so each one of us needs to start to examine their heart. This year we're going through the book Tim Keller's Counterfeit Gods as part of our men's breakfasts. And with that, he begins to help us identify the idols in our lives. And he takes us through certain uh, questions such as what is the first thing that you think of in the morning, the last thing that you think of at night—that probably is an idol. Look at your spending patterns, or look at those emotional triggers that respond with that create a a harsh response from you. Those are all things that can become idols in your lives. And so, what we understand that even good things can become an idol. But what we do is they become the ultimate things in our lives. So as we look at this passage, as we begin to drill down and understand the root cause that leads to false teaching and false faith, we begin to say, I need to invest in my relationship with the Lord. I need to make sure that there is nothing that is serving as a distraction from Him that He is the one who is getting my first love, that He is indeed the one who is getting all the glory in my life. For each one of these imitation situations, there is an antidote. For imitation teaching, it is sola scriptura that we rely on the Word of God alone. And so when we're teaching, we ensure that we do not add or delete from God's Word. And that's obviously what we're doing today. It's a difficult text, but we're not skipping over it because it would be convenient and easier to preach from. But we're speaking the truth from the pulpit. The second is false faith. And again, that is integrity. That is making sure that we are investing as much in our heart time with God coming before Him confessing being realistic about our lives, than it is representing that external facade that we want so many people to believe. And finally, for the false loves, the way that we can do that, the way that we can focus on God and not anything else, is to put Him first in our lives, put Him first in our time, in our money, and the way that we use the gifts that we've given we need to be authentic and genuine Christians because the only imitation worth pursuing is our imitation of Christ. Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 11 Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my